You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel O'Connor. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been a penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Thanks for Israel, Joel Conan, Dennis Dick with you. Well, congratulations to almost everybody who bought and uh, held E-Trade over the last 10 years. You're getting taken out this morning by Morgan Stanley. So we'll talk about the details of this deal. We have a number of earnings on our radar as well. And we are, we are going very long on the show today. We have four guests. We have an 815 guest, Mark Chaikin, an 835 guest, Alan Brockstein, a 9 o'clock guest, Tim Seymour, and a 915 guest, Michael Salomon. He is the president and co-founder of Grow Generation. And with the uh, latter three, we'll be talking cannabis and what to expect at the conference next week. And with Mark, we'll get his overall market thoughts. So a lot going on on the show today. Joel, what's going on in the overnight markets? More for your money, Spencer, right? Oh, that's, that's right. We don't charge anything. <laughs> uh, Pre-market high is on 97.50. Pre-market low 70, 76.50. Currently trading down six and a half dollars at 33.80.75. Ah, man, love to see the close here. The all-time closing high from yesterday, 33.87 a quarter. That lines up nicely with mid-range on the session. I think you see some sellers at that level. On the downside, don't have much for you. We did take out the interday low from yesterday. It's 77.75, but not by much. Uh, your real good support comes in at 33.70. Crude on the march here, up 54 cents at 54.03. Gold continuing its breakout over 1,600, up 780 at 1,619.60. Silver in the green by almost a penny here at 18.32. And, uh, Bitcoin at 10,000 level now acting as resistance once again. Nearly 9,500 contracts have traded so far. So Triple D, another another merger for you to trade. Yeah, another big one. This is one uh, I was trying to trade it from the long side for a while, uh, just keeping it long in my overnight portfolio. Just uh, and this was back obviously October, November. I was like, somebody could come back and scoop them up. I didn't. Wasn't long and overnight here though. Um, wish I would have been. 
I've been always thinking it too. I, like I used to write me even a sticky note, do not be short E-Trade just in case, even in the overnight portfolio. And here it is. So I guess I should have stuck it in the long-term account, not looked at it and reaped the benefits, but uh, did not have it long. Wish I would have overnight, but this is not surprising at all. I mean, E-Trade was the target that was left. So I'm not surprised. The only one left now you would think maybe is interactive brokers, but I'm not sure. Um, you know, they have the, the, the you know, they, they have as much uh, customer base as E-Trade or Ameritrade. So I'm not sure they're attractive as not or, or as attractive, but the stock's trading been trading up. It's up a buck and a half here this morning. You're saying, Spencer, you were saying on the pre-pre-market show, that's the last uh, publicly retail uh, available uh, public retail broker. Uh, interactive brokers, yes. Interactive brokers yep, is really the last one. one. I mean, so. you know, got like you were saying, Schwab. I know he's buying Schwab. I mean, so IBKR would be like the last man standing, one of the of the retail brokers. So yep. keep an eye. ETFC though, getting taken off the board. Give us the details. Details for this morning. The big news of this morning. It, it is a thirteen billion dollar deal, or fifty eight dollars seventy four cents per share. It's an all stock transaction. So for people like Dennis who trade. Uh, the, the, the ratios, the ratio to know this morning, E-Trade shareholders will receive 1.0432 Morgan Stanley shares for each share of E-Trade that they own. And I like then, it when you come bearing gifts like this. This is excellent. Yeah. So Dennis, I love all stock deals. Dennis, explain what I just said. So that's your ratio. So if you want to calculate the price of E-Trade on any given time versus Ameritrade, bring up your trusty calculator, which I'll do with you right now. Take the current price of Morgan Stanley, which is, let's say, 54.50, 54.50 times that ratio that you just gave, which is 1.0432, will give you a price for E-Trade of $56.85. And if you go look, it's trading at 56. So the risk garbs are putting about an 80 cent discount on the deal here right now for a risk that this deal doesn't go through. But um, I usually let the dust settle on day one. I don't usually trade these things just right off the hop unless you can trade the news event, which is usually pretty tough to get and beat those high frequency traders. But after the fact, Jack, um, second day, third day, I start to uh, get down and dirty in these. And sometimes there's some opportunities at the open, at the close, sometimes even intraday if there's a big move fast. I mean, the high freaks are pretty much all over it, but there is opportunities and I do like trading risk garb. So what do you do? Well, first of all, do you have that sticky note that says uh, "Don't be short um, E Trade"? I, I I actually was writing it down on my on my paper for a while, okay. um, but it's been it, what are we like almost four months past the merger? Uh, I've kind of you know it, it, you know fade it fades the worry fades, but I was always in the overnight portfolio because you know I buy and sell things overnight. If I think something's trading too high after hours relative to fair value, I don't think there's news, I'll sell it. If I think it's too low, I'll buy it. You know, I do get down and dirty, but I did not want to be short E-Trade on any given night. Whenever I even saw E-Trade trading up a little bit, it's like, no, just in case, just in case. And here it is, February, and I'm glad I'm not shorted overnight. Wish I would have been long. I've always been biased. Like I said, if I could buy that thing any night, you know, where I thought it was, you know, a, a trading at a discount, I would do it. And obviously, intraday, you don't usually see these things announced intraday, so it's only the overnight risk. That yeah, you, you got to have it, there. yep. Stock's up 11 bucks, though, so those who are speculating that this might actually get taken out eventually, they had to wait a while, but eventually they got rewarded. Why? What do you think? Is it the order flow? Is it the customer base? Customers, yeah, because you think about what they can do and how they can sell. You know, obviously, there's still payment for order flow, so they still can make money in, in those regards, but I mean, it's just the customer base. 
you now you know bring them into your full service brokerage here you can upsell them to morgan stanley i mean here you know you've got each well you know maybe you want to come to the full service broker you know there's all different ways i mean from an interest rate but they still make money like the retail brokers were still making money we know they lost the commission revenue which was significant but they still make money from payment for order flow they still make money from the interest that they have on your accounts and they're just bringing in so many more accounts so when you saw Ameritrade go off the board, you know, you figured eventually probably E-Trade is going to be the next target. So people rewarded if they were speculating four months after the fact. And according to the journal, the, the ones who broke the story, uh, Morgan Stanley has been eyeing E-Trade for a while. Uh, James Gorman, the, the, the CEO, uh, had uh, been eyeing them since he was at Merrill Lynch in 2002. He tried in 2007 when he came on with Morgan Stanley and it wasn't to be with, in the midst of the crisis, but he... He finally got his white whale. Hey, Dennis, what's the, uh, what's the all-time high in E-Trade? And don't look at your chart. Oh, man. 60? <laughs> That's just popped in my head. I didn't look at my chart. I'm saying 60. Okay. That's what I thought, and it's very wrong. It's very wrong. What's the all-time high? Uh, 300. No, really? What? They, yeah, I know. Is that, did they do a reverse split? I don't remember E-Trade reverse split. 342.50. I don't remember any trade reverse. When was that? It was, guess. You get one guess. Financial crisis? No. Bigger. Besides the financial crisis. Tech bubble. Yeah. 342.50. I did not know they did a reverse split. Did they? I don't, I don't remember that. He's they not did. Saying, he's not saying they did. Oh, wait, though. Go back to 99. Go further, Joel. I see over 700. My, go back further. Go to 99. My chart won't do that. Okay. 700 and I'm just eyeballing. It looks like about 710. They so maybe they did do a reverse, but I mean, this was, you know, tech bubble burst and I can remember E-Trade, anything online and you had an online trading company and they were us all over these things from a valuation perspective. In 1999, it looks like this thing went from $50 to over 700 in one year. The bubble of all bubbles. And if yeah, you held on for 20 August, years, you no, didn't get your money back. August, <laughs> uh, uh, August uh, fourth. 2015 uh they did a 70 for one reverse split did they really yeah was that what year 2015 what? that's what i'm seeing here well, i don't remember that either uh, why did they do that that wasn't even a tough year i i don't know i can't remember it i don't remember that either so i not going to argue with you if you got the hell. Oh, that's what, I just why well, I googled it, so I don't know. But uh, let's cover a few stocks here because we got a lot of guests coming on, and we got some movers here. So let's. Uh, yeah. You so obviously Morgan Stanley is moving down with it. Remember, risk arbs will sell. You know, and now it's just all about those ra that ratio going forward, the one point zero four four three two. So they do the immediate adjustment, bring the E trade price up, bring the Morgan Stanley price down to get it somewhat in line with that one point zero four three two. That's the risk arbs doing their, their work right off the hop. And then going forward, we'll remember that. But yeah, one jump in question. with one lots of earnings here. Where do you want to go? No, no, no. I just want to do one question. Do you leg into those or do you put the orders in simultaneously? No, you just get in there. So it's no like easy side, hard side on it. Sometimes when I was trading like VIA versus VIA B, you do the hard side, which is the ZL liquid one, the VIA. Those are both the liquid. You, if the ratio gets out too much, you just put it on. But it's it, day one, the high freaks, they're, they're all over this right now. I don't expect to make any, you know, unless you were on, on that initial headline, but they halted it. So the, the high frequency traders are all over it um, from, from that perspective. So usually day one, I lay off. Day two, okay. day three, you sometimes get opportunities. Often at the open, maybe a stock opens too high or opens too low. That's usually the best opportunity. 
um, you know, an E-Trade, you know, and for instance, E-Trade trades NASDAQ. So that's even better because NASDAQ doesn't give opening price indications until 928. So what you'll see is, you know, Morgan Stanley's giving you a good price. Well, you know, all of a sudden E-Trade opens too low, then it can get an opportunity. So sometimes there's an opportunity there. Don't expect to just, you know, make your whole living trading something like this. Like back in the day, I could make my whole living trading one deal. JP Morgan Chase Manhattan, that's all I did back in like 2004, 2005. But I was the high frequency trader back then. So, you know, the thing gets out to lunch. I had algorithms running on it. Um, you know, now that the, my algorithms would be way too slow to compete, you know, with the you know, millions of dollars in algorithms that your big guns like Virtue and Citadel are using. So it's UBS. It's hard, it's hard to compete because I don't have hundreds of millions of dollars of you know, programming at my disposal. All right. I'm sorry. I digressed again. Go ahead, Spence. Uh, you want to do pizza or stamps? Stamps. Wow. Come back. Come <laughs> yeah. back. Come back. Holy. This is just the comeback story of the last year. Yep. Stamps.com reporting earnings yesterday after the bell. Q4 adjusted EPS of $2.12 versus $1.03 estimate. So they crushed the earnings per share estimate. Crush. Sales, Crush. $160 versus $144 million. Importantly, guidance was good. The fiscal year adjusted EPS guidance way above estimates. They gave a range of 4 to $5.00. Estimate was down to $3.23. Sales guidance also above estimates. This is like the third quarter in a row that their guidance has been above estimates. Seems like. Buy the dip eventually did work in this one. If you were the first one buying the dip at 200, it didn't work. If you bought the dip at 150, it didn't work. If you bought the dip at 100, well, eventually it would have worked. But, you know, obviously we went all the way down to 32 bucks. And then we just started climbing. And this was, you know, towards the beginning of 2019. And in the last year, we went from $32 to $132. So it's been a nice comeback here for STMP. Uh, Ryan Craver, some props to yep, him. There you go. He was banging the, banging the table on this one for a while. He's been on our show multiple times saying he liked STMP. So, Ryan, if you are listening, nice call. Yeah, very good call. Trying to get the highs of the pre-market session. 1 to 31.50 right there right now. Keep an eye on your uh, your pre-market high. Uh, I, don't, I don't have my options platform open, but if you bought the 100 or 105, 110, 115, 120 calls, you could be locking in some profit on the dailies. There's just a big old – you're gapping it. This is like I think the biggest gap into a gap area that I've ever seen uh, – in the markets because there's a gap what all the way up to 200 or something i had to go back really far oh yeah if you're looking for a gap fill here uh get your order out there 194.07 because the gap fill comes in at 194.08 so uh if you heard charles in the background there i did hadn't didn't mute my squawked uh charles is our guy who squawks on benzinga pro he was just announcing and giving you more details on your story there joel i'm sorry to, to let you know but your lb is significantly underwater here now. Um, you know, and I thought this was kind of starting to turn around, but it looks like they, they, you know, they were gonna, they were starting to turn around. They gapped up on the potential to sell Victoria's Secrets. It sounds like they did not get the money that the market wanted them to get. No, not well, at well all. they're all, they're only selling fifty five percent stake, not the entire thing. But uh, only, and that only values the Victoria's Secrets part at one point one billion. And yep. I think the market was hoping that they would get a significant, you know, significantly more money than that. And you were seeing the stock get hammered here this morning. It's down ten percent on this. So the hopes that they were going to get a big buck for Victoria's Secrets, which I don't know why the market thought that really, um, because. 
Victoria's Secrets is kind of like the dog of it, isn't it? Isn't the the, the good yeah. part of this company Bed Bath and or Bed Bath and Bath and Body Works? It has been the dog for a while. Yeah, so they get rid of the dog, they get or a big chunk of the dog, they get some money for it, and the market punishes it for it. So it's a bit of a head scratcher. I guess the market wanted them to get more money than this. So you got to look at you know that bed or uh, Bed Bath and Beyond. I want to keep saying That's Bath and Body Works. Yeah. Um, is going to be a standalone company going forward. So now you're valuing Al Brands for the bulk of it just on. Um, obviously uh bath and body works uh you did sneak under 21 dollars here uh so you did get a gap fill but i'll be looking for the gap fill in the actual market that takes you down to 2077 so get down there 2077 21 all those people that shorted on the pop there i think we'll be bringing it in uh not sure i think they also had some changes in the c-suite here but uh uh no, no big deal i still got a ways to get even on this one so this is a Lisa pick, so I mean, I give her credit. It was a Dennis pick too. We maybe we both talked about it and bought it at the same time. We thought it was maybe a turnaround story at thirty-two dollars, and then it just stopped. Like it wasn't. It's just consolidated too long. If you look, I was probably back twenty eighteen ish, and I was like, you know what? I think I actually ended up scratching or taking a slight loss on it just because I didn't like the way the chart was performing, and I guess that ended up working out because obviously it's been beat up ever since. So I do take losses in my long term account too if I think. The story isn't turning around as fast as I want. When you're buying these turnaround stories, you want to see like immediate gratification because you get the timing wrong on those things and they can really stay ugly for a long time. I mean, everybody's been trying to call the turnaround of Macy's here forever. And yes, you have nice support, 14 to $15 area. But really, when you really analyze it, this stock has been dead money for five years, $70 back in 2015. We're $16 here now. People cite that nice, juicy 9.23% dividend, which they say they intend to keep. But, you know, eventually intentions are always good. But eventually, you know, I think this still has the potential. I'm not saying it's going to, but the tent potential to go the way of like a JC Penny or a Sears. And that's the scary thing for Macy's. I know they have all the real estate and that's worth some money there too. And that's maybe why, you know, it does okay. And they'd still make money, but the growth is just simply not there. All right. Let's bring on our first guest of the day. Mark Chagan from Chagan Analytics. Mark, good morning. Good morning. And uh, it's good morning from Connecticut. So change Connecticut. Nice. How are you, Mark? What's going on? I'm good. Well, uh, I think, Yesterday was a seminal day in this bull market. Uh, you know I've been bullish for a long, long time. Yes. But uh, it, some combination of millennials and short covering pushed the the uh, solar stocks and the semiconductor providers to solar beyond anything I've ever seen since 1999. So it, I think that's got the, crazy yesterday. I think the theme here is why did Morgan Stanley buy E-Trade? When did all this madness begin? Well, it began on October 3rd when Schwab made the bid for TD Ameritrade. And two days later, the Fed started injecting money into the overnight markets. I, I think there is a, a perfect storm there that has resulted in this huge rally. And now you've got millennials by all counts. Uh, Fidelity said space was their biggest most active uh, stock trade yesterday, and guess who's buying it? It's millennials, and guess it, who's buying well, solar? It's 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 anyone. But the fact that trading is so easy now, there are no commissions. It could be anyone. That's right. But they they're actually monitoring the demographics, and uh, they were on CNBC talking about how the millennials were buying. Um, I, I saw space. that segment. 
Yeah, but yeah. I think solar is the bigger story, and that is also a millennial story. Millennials are clean energy. Clean energy. They're opposed to fossil fuels. That's why Bernie Sanders has this rabid support among college students. And I think uh, the bigger story here is, are we in 1999? I haven't felt that way up to now, but when you look at these hockey stick moves in Tesla in end phase. End phase is what I was going to say. We were talking on the show yesterday after the earnings report and it was $45. And I just said, I've always you know, lost a lot of money trying to short stocks that are making new all-time highs. So I said, I'm absolutely not shorting it. But you know, it's hard to chase them. I don't know, 45, 46 bucks when they're gapping up 15%. Man, if you were chasing that thing yesterday, you're immediately rewarded with another 20%. Right? It's paying to chase. But the earnings and the sales are there. I've got a friend in Houston who is retired and he's doing his own research. He bought Enphase this year at $5. This year? This year. Yeah, that's and, incredible. And Solar Edge. The, the one we talked about on the show months ago was Sedge, Solar Edge because it had a bullish Jake and Power Gauge rating. That jumped 20% yesterday on a good earnings report. So it seems to be the... Uh, era of solar. And I'd just like to put a cautionary note in here market-wise. I love the market. It's what I called a month ago, blue sky territory. Yeah, uh, There's no resistance because the markets are making new highs virtually every week. But I think these hockey stick moves are reminiscent of 1999. It's and just price. You know, people are just jumping on the train. The train's rolling down the tracks and they're jumping on more and more. And, you know, and obviously, you know, these moves can continue for a while. So they're very scary for, you know, somebody like me who does trade both sides. You know, I'm scared to death to short some of these things. You know, even, you know, if you were just shorting Tesla on a valuation call or Enphase on a valuation yeah. call or anything like that, you're getting run over. You cannot short a stock when it's hot. You got to wait till they cool off because I've been hurt so much just trying to call a top and say, well, you know, and there's so many fundamental managers out there that say, okay, well, Tesla's valuation makes no sense when it's worth twice as much as GM and Ford combined. Um, but you know, maybe that's the case, but I've seen, you know, things get a lot more crazy. So you know what the revenue, revenue for Virgin Galactic was last quarter? No, they don't. They haven't even put anybody in space yet. What are your thoughts on SPCE? Oh, oh it's crazy. Come on. Uh, who knows when they're going to put yeah, someone in space and when they make out. money out of it. I, I have so to the tell new millennials, you. let's just sum up here. The new millennials don't like fossil fuels. They like clean energy. They, want to they go like to going to outer space. Is it, what else do they like, Mark? Yes, Spencer, what, next what else do they like? That's already booked a flight. Uh, uh, well, they like, they like free brokerage. That's for sure. They um, like free trades, too. You know, everybody said millennials wouldn't come into the stock market, but uh, you, you give them uh, a razor blade and they're going to use it. And the razor blade is free broken. Not Spencer. I'm tired of beard on Spencer. I'm tired of being villainized here. Okay, well, Are you a millennial, Spencer? Wait, you're not a millennial. Is, Are you officially a millennial? Yeah, and you're almost one too. I thought a millennial. Stop, though. What, how do we define a millennial? I'll tell you. Yeah. 1981, so early, early 80s. To mid, so how's Dennis falling? To mid nineties, early eighties to mid nineties, and that and that's just because they say the millennial because you're a teenager when the new millennial turns. Because I would think, like logically speaking, millennial should be a person that was born in the new century. 
Okay. Logic would no, say. No, Why do they call no, no, you no, a, a no. 1980? No, that's Gen. That's Generation Z. And, and let's start shifting the blame on. Holy, I got to get my demographics book. Where's David Foote when I need him? I need to get my demographics <laughs> book out here and start well, reading up on I mean, this. I guess. Let's take a little poll here. Does anybody see a bit of irrational exuberance in the trading that we've oh, seen yeah. in and the last week? But it's only in certain stocks, which is funny. It's selective irrational exuberance. Well, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't understand. I haven't understood this market for a while. And I've, you know, I don't know if you're following, but if you're following me on Twitter, you know, I've been saying, you know, just jokingly, you know, everything seems to be bullish and it really is. I mean, you have Apple that gives a warning. And two days later, the stock's right back up at the highs. I mean, it's just buy the dip has just been rewarded, rewarded. We don't care anything about the coronavirus. You know, there's no fear about that whatsoever in the markets. You know, there's fear on the streets, but there's none in the markets. Um, I think the market's completely been irrational here for a long time because I don't think the coronavirus is a non-issue. And the market sure says it is a non-issue. Well, here's, here's what's uh, really driving the market. Uh, the Fed started injecting money into the overnight repo market in October. Nobody quite knew what was going on. And they reiterated last week that they're going to continue to provide liquidity. Uh, it's just another way of saying uh, QE until the April tax season expires. So I think this market has a bit of a free pass. In the 11 years that we've been going up since March of 09, whenever the Fed was injecting liquidity into the market, stocks went up. Yeah. And when they stopped, stocks stopped going up. So I think this market has a bit of a free pass until the April earnings season, uh, which means we can go anywhere. And right now, go anywhere means take stocks to the moon in this parabolic hockey stick uh, pattern. And you're right, you can't short them. Justin Mamis wrote a book, uh, when to sell, and he said never short a stock making a new high. So you're channeling him, Dennis, very well. Yeah, I, I've just I I don't didn't know him. I've just done it the hard way. I learned this hard like grassroots. Like you go in there, you're like, oh man, I'm losing a lot of money here. I'm just scared to short stocks making new highs now, and I guess rightfully so. But there's there's money being made in conventional stocks. We've talked about Lidos on the show, LDOS. Yeah, uh, incredible earnings. The stock spiked up ten percent. Uh, there's just a dearth of supply. The sellers are all out of this market. If you wanted to sell, you've had ample opportunities since October. The hedge funds are getting slammed because Albert, you yep. can't have a hedge on that makes any sense if it's an equity hedge. And now implied volatility is starting to go up. So the options market is much more expensive as a way to hedge. I, I just think until April, this market is bullish, but I would really caution your viewers to be uh, sensible. Uh, I'm going to channel Jim Cramer. If you're in any of these stocks, take 50% off the table and buy yourself a cashmere sweater. That's, it, that was it. It, it, it was an interesting segment last night. I'm glad he brought that up because Kramer uh, just talked because he's been talking Tesla forever. He's been talking a lot of these stocks and he uh, started the segment. You think, okay, well, he's been rah-rah Tesla. He's probably going to be bullish Tesla again. And they were buying it up ahead of the mad money show and it was trading over 920 again, figuring because Kramer was saying he was going to talk a little bit of Tesla. And he talks off the hop and then he said, I give you permission to ring the register. And when he said that, Tesla Whoosh. fell almost 20 points on his comments. 
So it was 920. And if you look, Joe, I'll bring up the after hours chart. It went down like 902 or 903 in the next three minutes, just because all the people who are listening, you know, and there's a lot of retail traders in a stock like Tesla, like Jim Cramer said sell. He didn't really say sell. He said start taking profits, but they interpreted that as sell and they slammed it down. And I do believe that's why we're seeing Tesla down 11 points here this morning. That's a little bit of a Kramer caution warning on Tesla. Exactly. You know, the same friend of mine who bought Enphase at five has been long Tesla since 280. And his take, and this is a guy who's been in Wall Street 60 years, he started nine companies, sold them very well. His take is Tesla's going to be the biggest market cat company in the world within 10 years. And he's talking AI, solar, self-driving cars, uh, the whole notion of clean energy. He just sees a picture that uh, I never bought into, but when you add it up, I mean, they, they do have some really intriguing footprints. I, I personally think that BMW and General Motors um, are very slow on the uptake. BMW has unbelievable technology, but getting back to Tesla, you know, there's a reason why they're in so many exciting markets and it's it's the millennials who believe it and uh god knows where it's going mark uh someone asked about crude here uh put it in a nice low under 50 dollars trading up 36 cents here i mean it got pounded uh over the last couple months here uh i don't know do you do a power gate training on any futures or no we do it on the etf so um at uso is a pain in the butt but what do you think what do you think about crude here at uh nearly 54 dollars i i don't think it uh is worthy of an investment personally i think you know the coronavirus is hurting in china world and they're, they're a big Consumer of crude, um, it's it's meh to me. Mm -hmm. I think um, the energy stocks are reflecting what's really going on in the fossil fuel market, and the, it's ugly. It's just ugly out there, um, and it's no place to bottom fish, in my view. The same way about retail. Why bottom fish when you've got defined industry groups that are just so strong, like software, semis, aerospace, defense? This, the final phase of a bull market is a continuation phase. It's not a everybody, you know, a rising tide raises all boats kind of market. And so USO and energy stocks have been off my list for six months. All right. Mark Chaikin is the founder of Chaikin Analytics, longtime veteran of the markets. Mark, thanks so much for the time today. Have a good one. Interesting discussion, guys. Be good. As always. Have yeah, we could Mark. keep Mark on for a couple hours. Huh? We, we could, oh, yeah. but the show must go on. <laughs> I even get to ask him about Morgan State, this whole deal and everything, but yeah. we'll, we'll get him on again. Yeah. Okay. Uh, S&Ps are trying to rally here. Uh, we've had a couple little spurts here yeah. for 33.80, but just Mark just is a little tired here. I think uh, it's a little spooked from uh, the couple deaths on the cruise ship, too. Um, because we were trading up last night, and then overnight okay, they announced that, yeah. that two people did die on that cruise ship, and they're a little bit spooked about that. Um, you know, and we it, do see the cruise ship stocks trading down market. more than the market here as well. I think that kind of spooked a little. It gets a little bit of you know, real. Who, do we know where those two people were from? Well, there was also the the South Korea, the the, the first. Yeah, they've got South some Korea. cases there too. So something to keep in mind. 
I think there's still, I, you know, the, the market's going to be really spooked. I mean, we're talking about the market down five points, so it isn't spooked very badly. <laughs> yeah. And we know when we look at the market at 10 points, it'll probably be green again. Dip. But yep. it, right. it's, it's so hard to stay, you know, and, and like I said, you know, I've been nervous about this coronavirus for a while. I'm so glad I didn't just try to just flat out short stocks. You know, it's one thing, you know, I bought some puts and, you know, obviously I'm out to June. Um, you know, I'm going to have some expire this week, some of the shorter ones that I bought. But the bulk of the, the big chunk that I bought was out to June. I'm down about 20% in those puts, which isn't that bad because I went out so far. Part of me just thinks I should just take the 20% hit like on those puts and just get out. But I bought those for a reason that I thought, you know, something could happen between now and June where the market gets a little bit more nervous. And I still think that scenario is on the table. I actually, you know, it's probably, you know, I never hedged myself right up because the tape never told me to. So I'm still, you know, with, uh, you know, I was still looking at potentially hedging more of my long-term portfolio, but the tape, you know, had that one ugly day and then that was it. And we really, you know, held up very well ever since. So it's, uh, it's tricky to just be short this market, despite all of these potential worries on the table. All right. Uh, let's go to earnings here. Let's move on to Domino's. Uh, back to the earnings parade. Domino? Whoa. Yeah. Domino's. Yeah. Uh, Domino's reported uh, earnings, uh, this morning. I said that too, and I agree with you. Earnings per share. Why didn't we buy the stock? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Uh, earnings per share three dollars thirteen cents versus two dollars ninety eight cent estimate. Sales of one point one five versus one point one two billion dollars. Uh, comms for the quarter: U.S. comms three point four percent. International comms up one point seven percent. They reaffirmed their guidance for the next few years, and sales growth is good. It was a hell of a report. This is an unbelievable move. Um, I. I just got in saying I've lost a lot of money shorting stocks, making new all-time highs. So I probably won't be shorting it, but man to come in and chase this thing up 50 bucks it's up 50 bucks this is not some small company spec stock i mean you're talking about a move in domino's pizza this is the move if i go back to the last two years the whole two-year range last two years is 80 points so in two years this stock from top to bottom has moved those at most about 80 points now it moves 50 points in one day on one earnings report what do you think? Domino's Pizza's turning, you know, Domino's Pizza's always been a good stock. It's always been a good company, but 50 bucks is so, that's just like you reported on the right type of market where they just buy things no matter what. I cannot believe they're rallying this 50 bucks. Seems way overdone. But in this market, things just stay overdone. Uh, do you know where Domino's is headquartered? You usually tell us. It's got to be Michigan. <laughs> and Arbor, Michigan. Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, cruise by the yeah, the games, the football, basketball games. By the way, nice win for Michigan over Rutgers yesterday. You, you know what's weird? Why are there like so many pizza chains headquartered in Michigan? Domino's likes pizza. Little Caesars. There's at least three other smaller ones. Why are there so many pizza chains in this state? I don't know. Someone think it's about a pizza state. Food, food for thought. Back to the chart. I don't know. You know what I'm going to say about this one? <laughs> I mean, take the money and run. That's what I'm just going to oh, get. Yeah, I'd take the money. 358. You're 11 bucks. You've leaked. I think you find sellers even at 350 here. High of the day is in, Dennis. I will go. I know you don't short stock, but I will go. The high of the day is in for a lunch. Where's the high of the day? 358. 
I, I like to go with the momentum, but I'm I I just think 50 points is too much on this thing. Okay, so I'm kind of on the I same side would. as you. That's right. I would not be surprised if it saw 358 or 360. It wouldn't surprise me whatsoever, but it wouldn't I, surprise me for the thing to see 330 either. Either way, it was a good report. It deserves to be higher. Does it deserve to be up 50 points? That seems a little bit crazy to me. And uh, wow, uh, Pizza Johns is getting a lift off this too. Papa Johns. Papa John's, what I call I like it. Pizza John's. We're going to start calling that forever. do the uh, 30 minutes. Wasn't this company in trouble at one time? Like, weren't they, like, talking, like, we've got struggles here going on? This is back. Papa John's is back with a vengeance. Why is everybody eating so much pizza lately? Should I tell my uh, – Is there you got vegan pizza? Did they have Beyond Pizza? No, Domino's Pizza yeah. come out Beyond Pizza. They no. better if they didn't. I want to hear Beyond Pizza. I get so many good ideas for Beyond Meat. Why don't yeah, they, somebody the, said I should be on the, one on the board? I think I should. The boldest or the Beyond the, Pizza. The I'm gonna come, Joel. Me and you should just come out of the company. We're gonna call it Beyond Pizza. We're gonna attack. Uh, we're gonna attack Beyond Meat, and we're gonna make our pepperonis. You know, made out of peas, and it's gonna be awesome. The dough will be all vegan, so it'll be good. Beyond you know, Pizza, we're gonna we're call gonna it. We're gonna do a. I'm vegan, sure we won't get sued by Beyond Meat at all for that name. We'll do a vegan millennial show, and we won't talk about Tyson Foods or Pilgrim Pride. We, we, we don't talk about those. <laughs> we talk about those. We should, we would short those if we're doing the yes. whole. And you know what? It's been Tyson Foods been in the gutter. <laughs> uh, I just want to say that remember when Domino's had the uh, 30 minutes or less free delivery or free pizza. Do you remember that? Yeah, I, I do actually. Uh, uh, Joel, Joel took advantage of that I, for sure. No, well, what we, well, then it was recent. Well, I, I lived I, on a one-way street my senior year, so. and we would, if it got to like 27 minutes, we would go park one of our cars in the middle of the one-way street. So <laughs> Holy guy, Joel, that's <laughs> almost borderline evil. You know that pizza delivery guy, he got to take that out of his tips. I know. That's mean. You're mean back in the day. <laughs> oh, Joel's not an expert. Mean. Okay. Let's go to our second guest of the day. Jesus. So mean. Joel's so horrible. Uh, did Alan hear that? Did Alan hear that story? Because yeah, uh, I got to get Alan Brockstein's thoughts on that story if he yeah. heard that. Yeah, he's on one of those. Alan Brockstein from 420 Investor. Alan, good morning. Yeah, I'm not did talking you, to Joel. That's rude. Did you, that was a mean story. It's really mean. I wouldn't admit to that. <laughs> That's maybe my roommate's idea. Yeah. That was my roommate's idea. He's backpedaling fast on that. Meanwhile, Joel was a mastermind behind the park the street so he can't get there. <laughs> Alan, what's going on? What's up with you? I'm getting ready to go to Florida. Yeah, Are you Alan, in Florida? No, he's getting ready for our conference. Oh, yeah, the conference. Yeah. What's the date? We got to okay, promote it here once again. When's the date, Spencer? Monday and Tuesday. This coming this, Monday and Tuesday. This Monday and Tuesday. Get away from the cold weather because it's bitter cold out there in michigan this morning it's 16 degrees fahrenheit so it's cold 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 get out there and see alan down there in florida texas but i think it's 16 fahrenheit for it 16 celsius here so still he's he's talking celsius there i actually always talk fahrenheit because i'm from essex county which is like mini detroit really we always watch detroit television so we're the only pocket in canada that talks fahrenheit Ah. (laughs) all right alan give us a quick primer of what you're most looking forward to uh, next week yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, uh, we're in some challenging times right now in, in the cannabis sector in terms of, uh, you know, a little bit on the operations side, some issues we've been talking about, slow rollouts in California and Canada, but more on the capital market side. And I'm glad to see, you know, some of the leading companies are going to be uh, at this conference. It's important to stay in touch with investors. And this conference has gotten a reputation as being the very best one for uh, investors and for companies looking to connect with investors. And 
I think what's really interesting, you know, the capital markets have kind of shut down for new companies right now. But I, I think people don't realize, uh, like we just did an interview with a company that's on its way to 100 million in revenue next year, just out of California. Wow. There are a lot of private companies that are, you know, I don't even know if they want to go public, but the industry, including some good public companies, is moving forward. And so I think investors that go there are going to get a chance to meet some of these private companies, see some of the public companies are actually moving forward despite their stock prices maybe being stuck in the mud. So I'm looking forward to that. Alan, are, are you getting the sense that sentiment is turning a little bit or, or are we not there yet? I don't think we're there yet. You know, uh, it was an interesting end to 2019, the second terrible year in a row uh, for the stock prices. And uh, on the last day of the year, stocks surged like 6% and uh, kind of saved. I think it was the first month in nine that the index was up. And it was like, not really, it was up like one and a half percent. And then when we came into the new year, people started selling and all of a sudden, Afria and Organogram reported uh, in mid-January and we had like this huge lift and then we pulled back and made new lows. Uh, and then, you know, it's, it's kind of an instant uh, uh, replay. On Friday, Canopy Growth came out. And if I could summarize their, their report, it's like, oh, thank God the world is not ending uh, was really it. So a little bit of a relief rally that lasted all of one day uh, so far, uh, although, you know, uh, the way I'd characterize the market is the, the leading companies in both the United States and Canada are basing. If you go back and you look October, November, December, and you go back even into July for some of the largest U.S. operators, it's definitely in the basing mode, but we're seeing some of the other companies make new lows. So it's kind of a mixed market. And going back to uh, next week's conference, we're going to be hearing from executives from Iantis and TrueLeave and Akerna and uh, Grow Generation and a number of other uh, public and private companies uh, that are uh, in, in the space. Is there any, is there one side of the market that you're finding is, is uh, maybe has a, has a different level of investor appetite than the other or is, or is it, yeah. is it the so, same across the board? No, I would say that uh, investors over the last four or five months have really uh, keyed in on access to capital and cash flow. And so I, I think that the companies that are kind of, as I mentioned, some of the leading companies are hanging in there. I, I don't think it's just because of their market caps. I think it's their access to capital. And, uh, you know, we've seen uh, some of the largest multi-state operators uh, access debt capital, access uh, sale leaseback capital, things that are, you know, it, it's not, as an, as an equity investor, these things should be a little bit concerning uh, potentially because, you know, it exposes the company uh, to some downside risk potentially. But at the same time, it affords them the opportunity to, to stay afloat or I think actually expand when a lot of the rest of the, the, their competitors are going to struggle. So investors are kind of figuring that out. They've definitely started to pay more attention to the companies that have uh, lower cash burns and good access to capital. Uh, give us a quick update on some upcoming uh, legislation and, and, and any new markets that we should have on our radar. Yeah, so this year is really interesting. Uh, you know, we saw Chicago, I'm sorry, Illinois is the state. Chicago is the big city there. We saw Illinois uh, legalized and it's been quite a success as I expected. Uh, you know, it could always be better. Uh, they, it's supply constraint. That's the main thing. And they haven't even begun to uh, really... They, they let all the medical stores uh, or, or dispensaries become retail stores and there'll be a lot more stores coming on, a lot more supply. 
that is going to inspire other states, I think, to really uh, take a closer look, whether they're nearby states that are going to see their residents driving across the border or whether it's the states, most importantly, out east. So we're already seeing a lot of uh, potential copycats of company of states that are going to go through the legislative process rather than the ballot box. The ballot box has been the main way that, that states legalize up until Illinois. And so early in the year, we saw uh, New York's Governor Cuomo talk about uh, trying again after failing last year. We're seeing New Jersey embrace it, a lot of the smaller Northeast states. And I think you'll see more. Florida, uh, there was a ballot initiative that, that failed, but the legislature, I'm not sure how it'll play out, is contemplating uh, uh, voting on it. So I, these things are hard to predict. And for investors, I think the important thing is there's already a lot of growth built into the system. California improving, Massachusetts rolling out, Illinois continuing to roll out. On the medical side, Pennsylvania is rocking and rolling. We're even seeing some deep south states get going, like Arkansas and Missouri. Uh, in Louisiana, I see Alabama now has uh, some legislative on the medical side that's advancing in their Senate. So we're already moving forward. It's a question of, of, of pacing, I think. And, you know, as you look out five years, a lot of people think this is a bet about national legalization. And I, I've said for a long time, I, that's not the bet I would make. The bet I would be making is that these, these companies can work through some a myriad of challenges while it's federally illegal, and as the federal government updates its regulatory and, and, and political views. Uh, and so I, I think that's where we're headed. It's a good time, actually. We're on the line with Alan Brockstein, author of The 420 Investor and founding partner of New Cannabis Ventures. Alan, I got a stock that I bought, and it's not doing very well. You mentioned it six months ago. And I'll send you a check so you can pay the pizza guy. <laughs> <laughs> now I get it. <laughs> Look at Spencer. Spencer's going to cry here. Um, and Dennis, I don't want to hear anything from you about this, okay? All right. All right. Uh, LQSIF. Oh, uh, yeah. So what I the think what's going on, Alan? Yeah. So what's going on, it, it's really tough because I think they're executing extremely well. But uh, Aurora Cannabis uh, is really struggling financially, you know, no secret there. And they own a boatload of shares here. So I think there's some concern wow, there uh, that they may dump those shares. So I, I scaled back. Uh, so you see that spike day? Uh, oh, in, yeah, in that spike day. So I, I actually added a little bit that day. But then uh, as it recovered, I've been scaling back. So my, my exposure, my, my model portfolios is lower than I'd like it to be. That's kind of how I'm handling it. This company's not going away or anything like that. But there could be a liquidity event, uh, uh, just to use your imagination a little bit. You don't have to think that hard. They, they did a deal, Aurora did a deal, where they disposed of some uh, green organic Dutchman shares. And they, they sold them to a syndicate of brokers. And then the stock got cut in half. It was a disaster. So I, th I think people will look at that and they feel like that may lay ahead. I think there's a more optimistic outcome. I just wish I could prove it. And if, if so, I'd be loading up. And that is, what if somebody thinks that that uh, entering the cannabis uh, space, and Alcana is obviously liquor and cannabis, is, yeah. is a great idea. And they could just buy those shares, uh, you know, a strategic type of buyer. We've already seen Kush Tard take a stake in one of their competitors, Fire and Flower. And uh, so that's, that's the optimistic scenario. I, I'm not sure how to handicap it. I haven't heard any rumors to that effect. I'm just kind of 
you know, telling you the sentiment's negative because it's Aurora steak and it, it might not end as badly as some people feared. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a much smaller part of my portfolio too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the good thing about when you hold on to your losers. You just become a smaller and smaller part of your portfolio naturally. Yeah. Well, I, I have to say I became concerned. I sold some actually on the rebound just because uh, I think this overhang until it's taken care of isn't going anywhere. Aurora continues to look for sources of cash, and, and that is an obvious one. All right, Alan Brockstein, as we mentioned, will be at our Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference next week. He'll be speaking. He'll be moderating a discussion with the CEO of Grow Generation, and you can meet him and uh, talk uh, cannabis with him at the conference. Uh, Alan, thank you so much for the time today, and looking forward to next week. All right, see ya. All right. Bye, Alan. All right, 8.46 here. Shall we go back to the earnings parade? Because there are a number of other ones. Yeah, let's do I our want. second earnings report here, 45. We, we always get three, third, in. Third, get three in. Third earnings report. Third earnings report. We did two already. Let's do – hmm. Let's just third. do Zillow. I was going to do Zillow because they're near the top of my upflow show this morning. Up yeah, sure. We like the big movers. We like a good story here. We're always positive on this show. I'm looking for the movers. We'll have a real little bit of sarcasm there. I'm looking for the movers. All right. Sheesh. Zillow. Wow. We want to talk about a mover. This stock was just go whichever is your poison. You can go zebra G or zebra, whatever, which one you want. Just go the zebra. It's simple. I don't have to type in the extra letter. Stock is trading up a cool eight bucks here in the pre-market. So it's a big move here for Zillow. And if you're looking November, this was $33. It's now $63. Almost doubled. In three months, it's been an enormous move. I mean, now at this point in time, you got to start looking, you know, back to resistance levels. And we are getting back to where we were in June of 2018. So you run into that little dreaded double top up there at 65.70. I'd be more inclined to ring the register here on this one as well. Yeah, I haven't quite got there yet in the uh, pre-market trading. Pretty close, though. 64.76, back two bucks off that. So Use that area up to there as resisted. Street heading the right way into the report. Uh, just five days ago, you could have bought, bought this stock under $51. Uh, so I don't know, people ringing the register here. Not chasing it on the long side and seeing if we can get through the pre-market high. All right. You want to go negative? Yes. Give me some bad news. Six Flags. This, this was – that still stock? Expected a little bit. Uh, they were expected – to, not expected uh, that much. It's down 15%. <laughs> well, yeah, right. The earnings were bad. That's not an entire surprise. And they were expected to potentially do Yikes. something with their dividend. Uh, and they did cut their dividend uh, oh. in, in addition to the earnings uh. miss. So an earnings miss and a dividend cut for six flags. How much did they cut it? This morning. Uh, let me pull up the exact number here because I don't have it in front of me. Um, CFOs retiring, senior VP, all kinds of corporate they're, shuffle they're, up here too. Cutting their dividend from eighty-three cents a share to twenty-five cents a share. That's a big dividend cut. So if you were sitting here at Six Flags saying, "How can you go wrong with a ten percent dividend?" This is how you go wrong when they get rid of the dividend or they cut most of it off. I mean, I've always liked FUN as a better stock than Six Flags. I think you know it's a lot less volatile for one thing. It's held up. Um, I don't know. This is just not a good story. Not a good story at all, you know, and I don't know. see a turn. You know, when they're cutting the dividend, does that mean there's a turnaround imminent here? Not really. I mean, I've, we've seen, you know, remember, you're not comparing it to Kraft Heinz, but when Kraft Heinz cut the dividend, a lot of people were all over it, and it's continued to drift down even after that. that. So 
it's tricky. When they start cutting the dividends, it means the company's got some serious issues. You know why they're doing so bad? Because you don't need to go to these parks anymore. All you need to do it. Who makes the things for the virtual reality? That's Facebook. Facebook. That's all you need to do is you, you need can just to ride the roller coasters. Yeah, you're safety the, of your yeah. own home. You don't have to worry about coronavirus. Exactly. You don't have to worry yeah, about. Coronavirus. Stay home. Maybe that's what they're saying. Zoom video. I mean, Kramer's been saying that for a while. This is the play. This is the coronavirus stock because everybody's using Zoom now. They don't need to go and actually meet in person. So nobody's flying to China for these meetings, okay. so they just get on Zoom. We do it. I feel like That's I'm sitting great. right next to you with Zoom. I know. I know. I don't know. Coronavirus if play. So this is the anti-coronavirus play. I have to actually go to the park and ride the roller coaster. <laughs> uh, well, she did dip under $30. Or you got near $30 here. Your pre-market lows. Yep, twenty nine eighty eight. Panic low there. Some volume. Kind of been on the upswing since then. So... I'd be more inclined to be a buyer if we pull back towards the pre-market low to cover a short. Uh, you are right here, right now, opening into some monthly support. I see some monthly support uh, going back to 2014 monthly low at 31.77, and you also had a monthly low even going farther back than that, October of 2013 at 31.86. So you might have missed the low in here. Let's see if it, if it gets down near 30. I I, I think you. I think you find some bids here or anyway i mean you're already finding bids you made the pre-market low and then you've had a step up buyer since then i, I am not coming in I'm not buying stock it. That, I'm not buying so it. i'm not you know and and some stocks they bounce back buy the dip works it doesn't work when the stocks are in downtrends and cutting the dividends it doesn't work as well so i mean buy the dip works on stocks like amd that were in uptrends stocks like spwr that were pretty hot i mean i cannot believe i almost want to just ring the register like i said I bought this dip, yeah, two days ago at $8.30. It's $10.42. It got all those losses back. But it was a stock, you know, the solar stocks, like even, you know, like, like, like we were just talking um, with Merck. You know, the solar stocks are loved by new millennials. And, you know, these are stocks that they come and they buy back on, on the disappointing numbers. People looking to get into those. I mean, this is, you know, and AMD is, you know, just a poster child. Everybody loves AMD. The thing goes up every single day. I mean, it was down for two, three days after the disappointing numbers, and then they ripped it higher. So, you know, I wondered, I actually took a flyer in Pinterest yesterday, too, and I'm along it still. Um, it kind of put in a double top, double bond. You see what I was looking at there, Joel? 2266, 2264. You were talking about that last week, too. Yeah, I was waiting for it to put in like a two lows in the same area, and it did. It, you know, but, I didn't know yeah. that, but I ended up buying a 2285 yesterday for a swing trade. I'm still in it. I sold half. So I sold a chunk because it ran a dollar and I was like, oh, that's a pretty good move. And it was just a swing trade. And I was taking, you know, fairly low risk. I, I literally had my stop like at 22.55. So I had my stop just sitting there. You know, if it made the new low, it did not, obviously. And then it ripped higher. But you know what? This sets up not not bad, too. So I took, you know, a little bit of chunk of it. I, uh, um, and then, um, you know, I'm holding on to the rest of it. But it's the kind of stock that, that does bounce back because, you know, there's a lot of people in the younger generation that uses Pinterest, too. And it was a good earnings report. It filled the gap. And, you know, Twitter did the similar thing. Twitter, you know, had a good earnings report. Started coming back in afterwards. And now it's showing life again. So I could see Pinterest doing the same story. That's why I am long Pinterest right now. Not trying not to sell if it moves up really substantially. Because this is in the swing trading portfolio. Not the, you know, long-term account. So I, I, this, it's uh, of my swing trades right now. I think Pinterest is my only one on it. So, oh, I have uh, LIKE on for a swing trade too because I still think the coronavirus, is, I think masks are going to be coming back up eventually. Uh, those are my only two swing longs on right now. So you just ripped off about five stocks there. What, what, what? Three. 
Three. Well, actually, maybe it was five. <laughs> I don't remember where we started. Like I pull up the chart, and then I pull up the chart, and then I pull up the chart. Uh, for your pins, you're up 14 cents at 23.74. Ah, man, you want to see this thing over 24 bucks, Dennis. Your last three highs, 379, 369, and 386. So, I don't know, someone lurking here just under 24 uh, you clear that you could you could it's up this that. morning too yeah that's a good sign when the market's getting weak there's follow-through buying here yeah so i like it you got yourself in get yourself out <laughs> i like it okay uh Next. so because we're going long today uh we will have time after nine to do more uh tickers from the chat so i'm i'm keeping a, uh one eye on the chat and I'm, I'm writing t tickers down as i see them and we'll get to those you're actually following the script today? I, I i'm trying to pay closer attention to the chat than i have been so uh, i'm writing a few down i saw someone suggested tyson someone suggested groupon we will get to those uh I, I promise. Uh, I do want to get to at least a couple more uh, earnings reports. And I'm go just, again, going back to the biggest movers, what's moving this morning. Uh, by the way, um, E-Trade has settled down here. Uh, seems like it's found, it's found its level for the day. But um, it's Morgan Stanley's trading off of now. So don't even look at the individual price action on E-Trade. Look at the individual price action on Morgan Stanley. It will chase that around to that ratio, 1.0432 minus that 80 cents to a dollar discount that the risk arbs are pricing in. Obviously, you know, just for the deal potentially not going through, but it looks like with an only 80 cent discount, they're pretty comfortable. More time value of money in that than anything. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to do Solar Edge, which we had sort of this, sort of discussed, uh, but they had earnings yesterday after the close. Uh, the earnings per share beat a buck 65 versus a buck 25. Sales 418 versus 413 million dollars. So beat and a beat last quarter for so uh, SEDG. Their Q1 sales guidance also came in above estimates, and I think we talked about the. These two stocks, this Enphase and Solar Edge, have just been ripping. SEDG went up 10 17 points yesterday on Enphase's earnings. So this thing was priced for perfection coming into the report. Um, yeah, and you, you would say, you know, like going up $17 a head. And then they reported and they actually hit it down a little bit, but they blew the numbers away. But it was priced so for perfection, they actually brought it in just a little bit. It was trading down $3, $4 for a while. Well, the new millennials won't let the stock stay down, and they bought the thing right back up. I mean, again, we're at a story here. Like I just got done saying, third time on the show, I've lost a lot of money shorting stocks, making new all-time highs, so I would not short this same setup as Enphase really yesterday, although it's already had a big move, so I don't know if this has got more gas in the tank, but I don't know that it doesn't. So that's why I'm definitely not shorting this thing. Um, but I, I don't like chasing stocks. Blew it away. It worked yesterday in Enphase, though. Yeah, trading at the highs of the pre-market session. It's really the only thing I can give you. That's 137.30, so you have faded off that. Your last print, 134.70. So if I had to give you an upside target there, I'd say, hey, get out there, 137. See if they take you. If they do and continue higher, then put more out at 138, and 139, 140. Yeah, but this could be one that could rip on. Like, I mean, Enphase, let's just put this in perspective. It was 45 when we talked about it. It went to 57 bucks. I mean, this Solar Edge, this could see $150. It could happen. I'm not saying it's going to. Oh. It had a big move yesterday, but it was a good earnings report. There's nothing in here. I mean, don't just think this thing has to stop because it's up seven bucks. I mean, a Domino's pizza is a safer short, even though it's kind of starting to go up too, than a Solar Edge. I don't want to short any stock making a new all-time high, but these solar stocks just get crazy. 
You know, this can go like, you know, not Tesla crazy, but half a Tesla crazy. That end phase was a huge move yesterday. I would not want to be short the stock right now. All right. What about Avis budget? Oh, man. People are still renting cars, huh? I, I can't Apparently so. <laughs> Apparently so. The uh, Q4 EPS, 73 cents versus a 50 cent estimate. Nice beat. Sales also beat 2.16 versus $2.08 billion. So beat and a beat for Avis last quarter. Their fiscal year EPS guidance coming in in line. Their sales guidance coming in in line, actually above estimates. So strong quarter for uh, Avis. Congratulations, Steve Grasso. And we see he's pitched the stock got to be four or five times on Fast Money in the last year, and you've been right. So, Steve, you're listening. Congrats on this one. Car has worked out for him. you. I wonder if he's just a CNBC. Can we get Steve or has he got an exclusive and he won't come on? I don't know. So some, right. of these, some of these CNBC guests can't come on. We got Tim Seymour coming, though. How about in two minutes we asked him to ask Steve? We got Tim. Tim's awesome. Well asked. Well, we'll, well, <laughs> can we get Steve on? <laughs> we love Tim. Let's hold out maybe for 49.70, or I'll just call it 50. I like that area. 49.70 was your high in April of 18. 50.32, or I'm sorry, in May. April was 50.32. Nice round number. Hasn't been up near 50 bucks, as I said, in a long time. So that's only a buck 50 away, just hanging out here at the highs of the pre market session. The actual high, though, was on the initial bump at 49.66. So Maybe you just got a patient seller up there between 49 and 50. All right. Let, and let's bring on Tim Seymour now. He is the CIO of <laughs> Seymour Asset Management. Tim, good morning. Good morning. How are uh, you guys? Good. Want to get your thoughts before we get into the cannabis stuff just about this, this merger this morning? or this acquisition. Yeah, you know, it, pretty extraordinary stuff. Obviously, what we've seen is this uh, consolidation in the online brokers and some secular trends that are going on with, with fees in the sector. And, you know, there's there's some element to this deal, though, that, that kind of feels, uh, you know, market toppy uh, to me. Uh, I realize that th this deal makes sense when you consider all those other things I just mentioned. But um, this is, you know, this, this is kind of extraordinary. Uh, I think it, it's it continues to cement Morgan Stanley's place as, as, you know, really, I think, the leader in wealth management, and arguably that's where they took this franchise, you know, after the financial crisis and kind of realigned how they were, uh, you know, conducting core business. And, and so, you know, this is now Morgan Stanley Digital Bank gets them more into the commercial and, you know, the, the banking services around uh, the, the client base, you know, as opposed to less focus on investment banking. This is my interpretation. This doesn't change their, uh, you know, the core IB strategy that exists today. But for tomorrow, this is where they see the world. And, and I think they've, they've taken a clear, clear step uh, ahead of others in space. And uh, I wonder when Goldman's going to hop into this uh, fracas here. Actually, uh, over the weekend, listening to the radio, I heard uh, for the first time ever, like uh, Goldman Sachs. Did you hear those, Spencer? Goldman Sachs advertising. I don't know if it was a credit card or cash. Yeah, Goldman doesn't advertise that much. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Very, very well, I mean, so if you, this, this whole uh, Marcus business that they've set up, which is – 
providing commercial, sorry, retail services uh, on, an, you know, uh, on uh, uh, a very personal level. Uh, the fact that they've moved in with a credit card with Apple. I mean, Goldman Sachs has, has certainly followed a, a path that's also moving in a direction where uh, a core institutional blue chip client base is not the only way they're getting business done. So, um, no, I think, I think Goldman Sachs understands the world has changed. All right, uh, Tim, we asked you on here because you are going to be uh, all over uh, our cannabis conference next week, uh, Monday and Tuesday. What are you most looking for? Yeah, why do I only get invited on this show right before <laughs> one of your conferences? I mean, this is Tim. absurd. I thought, and by the way, I thought I was brought on to talk about hockey. Um, and I, I know we want to get into the Houston Astros and, you know, what it means as we uh, have uh, uh, spring training up and running. I mean, you know, first of all, how about, how about my Rangers coming into Chicago last night and just absolutely <laughs> dismantling the Hawks in, a, in an original six matchup that I'm sure the entire country was focused on last night. Um, so good stuff, right? That's a big win. That's a Benajad kid and Panarin. You got some players there. You got some hope there on New York. We Rangers got some players. You know, we, good we, young goalie. we have – <laughs> I knew Dennis would, would take the bait here. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we do. It's, it's, I'll it's talk nice hockey to... the whole half hour with you here, Tim. <laughs> I know you would. Don't lose money to talk hockey because no one will talk hockey with Oh, yeah. How about baseball? I'll, I'll forgo I mean, we... even trade the open just to sit here and talk hockey all night. It's I mean, a good year. I'm an right. Oilers fan, so it's been a pretty – Okay, you're until Connor McDavid got hurt last week, but I mean it's been. A I know, week. no, we we miss him. All right, so you guys have asked me about about cannabis uh, and the event next week, so uh, I am fired up to to be in Miami. I think. Uh, Benzing is as uh, here's here's the paid advertisement that nobody paid me for. I mean, this is an event that that is a nice combination of of uh, you know major industry corporates. Uh, I think you know, key institutional hedge funds and dedicated investors to the space. And then also, you know, frankly, it's a forum where self-directed high net worth uh, and, and kind of retail folks who are, who are excited about cannabis for the first time or have been in this, this industry for, you know, last three or four years can, can, can go. And I, I actually think it's one of the great parts about this, this event is, is it's uh, uh, it's not, it's institutional in its approach, uh, but it's not necessarily uh, restricted to that world. And, and so, uh, you know, we're uh, excited to be there. There's, you know, no, no lack of news flow coming out of this sector, not surprisingly. And, and uh, um, it's, it's, I think, you know, a year uh, ago, we were in Miami with a very different sentiment uh, on, on the industry. And it's not a bad thing that things have cooled off. It's not bad at all. In fact, it's, it's probably very healthy. Price just probably got ahead of itself. And I mean, in some of these cases, obviously valuation got ahead of themselves too, but there's going to be some big survivors here and this is, industry is not going away. And you look here and obviously a lot of these stocks are trading near the lows, but there's gotta be some opportunities here uh, as an investor. What, if you just could pick a couple of, you know, and I don't want to throw you on the spot, but just a couple of stocks. I know you've got a few that you like, but which companies mm -hmm. would you focus on that you think could be the ones like um, that could be here for the long term? 
Well, you know, first of all, just, you know, the sector overall valuations didn't make sense out of the gates because of, of the, the restrictions on capital into the industry. And, you know, effectively, uh, Canada, which is federally legal, uh, was the place that U.S. companies were, were going and, and the United States, which was uh, not federally legal, but certainly accessible to Canadian LPs, was the place that they were going. So it created this uh, mismatch in terms of valuations. It created a, a dynamic where also you know, effectively share prices were used as the, as the currency in which companies were then doing corporate finance. And while that, that does go on in a more traditional uh, corporate M&A world, it, it, it is perversely overdone in, in the cannabis world. So you, you got to a place where valuations never made sense. Yes, you can, you can look at Tesla or Virgin Galactic and say they don't make sense in a lot of places. Um, but I, I think in this case, you know, the, the, the good news is, is that the addressable market and the growth and the top-down story that everyone was so excited about in terms of uh, just consumption and classic CPG, this is a story that will look no different than many other uh, consumer product classes in terms of the sophistication of the companies, but the, the distribution, the branding, the logistics, the ERP, and, and that's actually playing out. So um, I think the, the, in terms of names in the space, uh, the, the, in the U.S., you've got the, a handful of multi-state operators that I think are separating themselves from the pack. Um, they, they are doing that because not only are they showing a path to uh, EBITDA profitability, but they've, they've you know, I think, largely uh, focused on their balance sheets. They've fortified their balance sheets, and, and they're able to withstand a really challenging period in the capital markets. Um, so, I mean, look, the, the names in the U.S. that right now, both from a balance sheet perspective in terms of some of their uh, their operating earnings, I think over the last uh, two to three quarters, uh, Cureleaf, Cresco Labs, GTI, these are companies that, that are uh, on kind of a multi-state uh, capacity have, have done very well. Um, Trueleaf down in Florida is a little bit more of a, of a, you know, call it a vertically integrated single state model. At least they have a, a dominant position in Florida. Um, you know, these are all names you can trade in in uh, your e-trade account that might now be a Morgan Stanley account. But no, I think it's you know the the Canadian LPs of which we started to get earnings last week. Um, you had you had uh, Aurora early in the week. You had Canopy that delivered on Friday. Um, kind of. Uh, mixed stories uh, between Aurora and Canopy. Um, Aurora continues to see deceleration in their top line and their profitability and, frankly, their gross margin. Um, and I think people are a bit concerned about uh, continued impairments and, and where also the balance sheet is going to need uh, some fortification. Um, Canopy Growth doesn't have the balance sheet issues. Uh, they have, uh, I think, the most important thing to say there is they've got a management team that's taken the helm after, you know, so People talk about 2.0 in terms of the uh, the you know, the cannabis products market in Canada in, in Canada now coming forward with with edibles, gummies, you know, uh, any type of uh, uh, beverage market, et cetera. But but really, 2.0 is is should be more about what's going on with management teams and and the next phase of growth for companies and what it looks like. And and the leadership of Canopy is is uh, a very experienced consumer products team that's come over from Constellation Brands and knows what they're doing and is focused on profitability. So I, I think that should be interesting for investors. It doesn't change the fact that Canopy is not a cheap company and, and uh, Canopy may also have uh, uh, to write down some more assets. But I think they're, they're on the path to profitability and I think um, they have a balance sheet that means they, 
they can be opportunistic in this environment. So those are things like a dollar invested today versus a dollar invested at the Miami Conference 2019 for Benzinga is, is a very different place. And, and I think um, if you look at, at uh, Canopy Growth uh, as a just a proxy, so let's just use that as the biggest name that people could have traded, it's actually outperformed the S&P since the middle of October um, by, you know, whatever, 1%. You can, you can pick any point and lines on a chart. You guys know this. You talk about it every day and make whatever case you want. But um, I'm not going to tell you that the, the, the publicly traded cannabis market is bottom, but I'm going to tell you that um, there was a, a necessary shakeout and that actually uh, a handful of companies have, have, have done quite well. And, and that, uh, as, as we like to say, and I've probably said no less than 150 times on Fast Money uh, over the years, you, you, you make the most money when things go from terrible to just bad. And, and that's part of what, what I think we've seen in, in the cannabis sector. But, but the good, uh, I just want to be clear, is I don't um, – you know, I was listening to Alan uh, for a couple of seconds before I tuned in with you guys, and, and Alan's one of the leading voices in the industry. And, and Alan talked about he's not really counting on a federal – uh, you know, a, a federal green light. I totally agree. And, and I think so, you know, the, the better part of the story is look what's going on on the state level. Look, look at the, the legislative uh, uh, evolution and, and what we have going into the 2020 ballot in a handful of states. People didn't think we're going to be going uh, full rec or even medical. You've got a lot of progress, South Dakota, Missouri, uh, New Mexico, uh, you know, you name it, it. It's actually happening on the state level. Uh, in the Northeast, you've got uh, Cuomo, who effectively, you know, the, 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 the way you'll get the adult market passed in, the, in New York is different than you would in other states, and it's not necessarily going to a ballot. Um, and, and therefore, I think this is more of, of uh, uh, a mandate that's coming through from the governor's office with the necessary social and kind of criminal justice uh, attention. And, and now it looks like you've got the framework for New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and then Pennsylvania, which is already a medical market, but also to go, uh, to go adult. So um, that will happen, uh, in my view, sometime in the next 12 months. And that's going to also be just very important for uh, again, the top-down market in terms of the addressable market and why people are excited about this sector. I don't think you need the federal government to, to decriminalize to, to get good news. All right, Tim, real quick before we let you go, and I've been asking, we've had some different industry guests on here, and I just talk about like the black market, and someone is asking here oversupply here. So, I mean, is that something that you know, it's just not going to go away and that's going to be a big impediment, uh, you know, to this, uh, you know, this industry taking off. The black market exists because it's, it's free of regulation and, and it's, it's, you know, on some level it can exist at a cheaper cost base and, and that will not go away overnight, but, 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 but people want regulation. Uh, consumers want regulation. The companies want regulation. The industry wants regulation. So, um, yeah, look in California, they, I think you know that state is as uh, as a leader in the industry um, has also made some leading mistakes in terms of how they are going to regulate or not regulate, and also how they are going to tax their industry. Uh, the the uh, the producers, the retailers are, are overtaxed in California, and they've created an environment while the, the perception change socially and otherwise is, has made it so nobody cares and everyone's accepting that this is, uh, you know, this is an industry that's growing. So black markets never had a better environment to live and thrive. That needs to change. But, you know, the, the pricing, um, first of all, um, of premium flour and 
um, in, in a handful of markets and look no, you know, no further than around you guys regionally in Illinois and in Michigan. I mean, prices are actually, no, they're holding up dramatically. I mean, the, the, uh, the cost of pound and the wholesale markets in Illinois is, is up near $4,000. So, um, you know, you have, you have, I don't believe that like any commodity market has a supply demand uh, response, and therefore, yes, in Canada you have absurd amount of production uh, for a market that's just not that big. Um, but that's not what you're investing in in the industry. So people that are focused on uh, on the prices and supply demand dynamics, yes, that makes some sense uh, to determine short and medium term pricing trends, but. Um, you know, I don't think that's really what's driving it. Look, the hemp side of this industry, uh, so after the farm bill, I mean, if you want to look at where where uh, the legal market and, and pricing is, is, is plummeting, um, biomass and isolate prices on the hemp side are, are plunging because there is too much supply. Um, and, you know, that market is being constrained a little bit by the FDA. But, but um, yeah, I, I think, look, black market dynamics are, are – are, uh, you know, make for important headlines and, and an addressable dynamic that the industry needs to continue to overcome. But um, the industry wants regulation. The industry wants consistency. The industry wants safety. The industry wants uh, the ability to deliver products for investors in, in a controlled environment. And that's really what consumers want. And when you get that, um, you're then going to get, and this is going to also you know, require a legislative process, you're going to get some of the biggest consumer products companies in the world that are coming into this space. All right, Tim Seymour, uh, Tim Seymour is a panelist on CNBC's Fast Money. He is a CIO of Seymour Asset Management. He also is the portfolio manager of the Amplify Seymour Cannabis ETF ticker on the screen there, CNBS. Tim, looking forward to next week. Thanks for coming on. Guys, this is great, and uh, you know, we, we whenever you're ready to start our weekly hockey uh, morning show, you know, we're, we're all over. We're going to extend this until I'm on hockey stocks show. and jocks on Tuesdays uh, in Chicago. <laughs> he does. Joel does his stocks and jocks. I know sports like anybody, <laughs> just, Tim. Just not hockey. All right, thanks a lot, Tim. Awesome, guys. Take care. All thanks, right. Uh, before we get to our next guest, I just want to do Tyson real fast because someone in the chat mentioned it, and they did warn yesterday about the coronavirus having an impact on the business. So I'll just pull up the chart. Joel, give, uh, give us some levels here on Tyson, and then we'll go to Just given uh, – let's see here. Is this uh, – is this – We're done. Millennials don't eat chicken. You know what? Lisa's been cooking a lot of vegan dishes too. Lately. I've been, I'm telling you, I've kind of, the only Both thing I do eat some chicken night. still, but I've been trying to go a little bit more vegan with my diet too. A little bit more. 77.82, that was a low from yesterday. Just hanging out at 78. Absolutely have to hold yesterday's low at 77.82. If not, your October low was 77. So it's kind of hanging in there, but uh, opening into the previous day's low, next support, 77. All right. I do want to bring on our final guest of the day, Michael Salomon. He is the president and co-founder of Grow Generation. Uh, Michael, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Joel? Doing okay. Doing okay. Uh, Michael, your, uh, your co-founder will be uh, speaking uh, on a uh, panel with Alan Brockstein at our conference next week. So we're looking forward to that. But real quickly, just give us a quick um, I, I know that Grow Generation is a, is, a, is a supplier, industrial supplier, but give us a quick rundown of, of GrowGen, GrowGen and what you guys are doing. Yeah, Grow Generation is the largest supplier of hydroponic equipment and supplies to the commercial uh, cannabis license marketplace. We started the company back in 2014 
with the mission statement of becoming the largest chain of, of hydroponic garden centers. And we've accomplished that in less than six years. The company this past year did about $80 million in business. And we were honored of being um, uplisted to the NASDAQ exchange. We rang the bell, which was really exciting for our company, a major milestone on December 30th of last year. So our business is growing you know, dramatically and taking advantage of legalization across the country. And I just looking up, like I'm looking at your chart here, and it does not look like most of your peers. It's going up and to the right. So you must be doing something right. You know, we're a very discipline-based company. You know, my partner and I started the company, you know, really from the perspective of being a profitable company. We built this company organically. Um, you know, we started back in 2014 with a small acquisition. We did $2 million our first year. Second year, we, we doubled sales. We've been doubling sales literally every year and doing it in a way in which, you know, we were looking towards, you know, profitability. This past year, we achieved that, that goal um, and, and was profitable. We've been profitable really for the last four consecutive quarters and certainly continue to focus on margin expansion, EBITDA, um, and, and you can see the, the reflection of the, the price of the stock. You know, finally, you know, catching up to where the company is and where the company is going. You know, this company has tremendous, you know, pipeline of acquisitions and opening up, you know, new markets. I mean, we're still, you know, in the early innings of this, of this uh, legalization process of cannabis. And this company ended the year at a run rate of over $110 million of business. And we're still not even, you know, generating any revenue out of New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Florida, Illinois, Arizona, all new markets um, that are ahead of us. And part of the strategy for the company is also to acquire the best of breed of these hydroponic operators. And we have the capital, we have the resources, and most importantly, we have the management team that's able to assimilate um, these these companies that have been in existence, that have customers, right. that have revenue, that have profitability, we're able to bring it all together under the GrowGen umbrella. Right. So, so Michael, you're in nine states. In which of those states, I, I guess, can you just talk to us about the, the demand and the supply in, in each of those states and which, which markets are, are, are hotter or, or not right now? I mean, you know, we're, our, our business is really based upon um, the number of licenses that are given in a particular state. Um, Oklahoma is exploding. There's 5,000 cultivation licenses that were issued. Not all are active, but our company was a first mover to take advantage of that leniency from the cultivation side. We have three locations opened uh, already in the state of Oklahoma. We're in the process of opening up our fourth location, which will be the largest hydroponic retail garden center in the United States. It's a 40,000 square foot facility in Tulsa. Uh, but we see, we see growth in all the emerging markets. Michigan, we have three locations. Um, even mature markets like Colorado, where you now have Wall Street investment coming back into the market that wasn't allowed until this past year. And we see guys, you know, expanding and, and really reinventing their cultivation facilities and using the state-of-the-art state lighting technology and nutrient technology to make their, their operations more efficient, um, to, to get a higher ROI. Uh, and GrowGen is in the middle of all of those conversations 
in the middle of assisting and working arm in arm on the purchasing side and the supply side to provide these, these growers um, a strong return on their investment. Um, and I think that's why we're able to acquire customers and retain customers. Michael, uh, looking at some of these stocks, uh, the you know the the producers and everything, and the the charts are not looking so good. I mean, is there is there something else lurking out there like uh, like big tobacco or you know someone else coming in that just say, okay, you know, all these little companies are going to go away. Hey, we're the big boys. You know, maybe a big farming corporation. I mean, I'm looking at the stock of like Philip Morris and some of those other tobacco companies. Do you think that's something that's a, a big overhang on, the sto- on, on these stocks? Some of the big boys are going to come in and really get active and take market share. I don't think so. I think, you know, the market is, is, is really a state regulated market. And I, and I see that continuing, even with federal regulation, which would only help these companies from a banking perspective. But the state rules are going to stay in place. And I still think you're going you're gonna to have, you know, state-by-state state regulatory environment. Um, you know, big tobacco, if they decide to come in, they would come in through an acquisition. You know, the, the MSOs that are out there, you know, they put a stake in the ground. They have vertical integration they have branding, they have product, they have distribution. Um, so I think it would be difficult um, for even a large group to come in other than through an acquisition model. Um, and that's certainly, you know, a possibility. Um, but we see we're very bullish. You know, all, you know, our customers are the big MSOs. You know, we work with most of the U.S. You know, we're not, we're not active in Canada today. We're very active with all the MSOs in the United States. And they're growing and they're expanding. And that's great for Grow Generations business because we're following their consolidation, their acquisition strategy. And because of our ability to provide, you know, an end-to-end solution for these MSOs, you know, we're able to, you know, work these, these MSOs in the United States. And we see them, you know, growing and certainly becoming, you know, more, more profitable. And we, we see tremendous upside here in the United States from the, you know, big MSO side. Uh, Michael, is it fair to call GrowGen the Home Depot or the Lowe's of pot? <laughs> or do you, do you hear that a lot? Or did I just... We do, we, we do hear that a lot. I mean, it's certainly a compliment. Um, you know, Bob Nerdelli is a senior advisor to the company, and we had the pleasure of walking the, uh, the floor of their main uh, store, Home Depot, with uh, Ted Decker, the, the head merchant down there. And it was a wonderful opportunity for our team and our staff, you know, to understand the inner workings. And we certainly see a lot of parallels if you go back to the early stages of how Home Depot, you know, started and how they expanded and opened up more locations and created a pro services, um, you know, operation, which which GrowGen is, is very focused on developing its commercial business. But we also entertain eight to 10,000 people a week that walk through any one of our 26 locations. Um, You know, we see the omni-channel approach of having customers, you know, accessing our internet and our inventory online and picking up, you know, in-store. So there's a lot of similarities. Um, I'm certainly, you know, we're certainly a much, much smaller company, but we see tremendous growth and and we don't see the end of it. Um, And it's certainly paralleling the growth of the cannabis space and, and, and GrowGen is in a unique position also to also expand 
because we're in the hydroponic supply business, there's other vertical markets, including hemp, including organic produce that's grown hydroponically, that GrowGen can seamlessly enter into those very large multi-billion dollar markets in addition to the cannabis space. All right, we've been on the line with Michael Salomon. He is the president and co-founder of Grow Generation. He'll be at the Benzinga Cannabis Conference next week, as will his co-founder, Darren Lampert. Uh, Michael, thanks so much for the time today, and we are looking forward very much to uh, the conference. Thank you, gentlemen. Much appreciated. All right. Uh, Joel, I, I just – one more. Uh, one more stuff? Yeah, I just I, – I, I wanted to get to Groupon. Somebody had mentioned Groupon in the oh. chat like a half hour ago, and I, I promised myself I'd get to it. And they had, they had earnings a couple of days ago. We didn't discuss the earnings on our show. Uh, it wasn't great, but someone had asked us to look at Groupon. So pulling it up on the, on the screen here, and let's take a look. Ah, they're also – they're getting out of some business, and they are doing a reverse split, right? I think that's what I read. I don't know. It closed on the low of the session uh, uh, yesterday, so I guess you want to see a buck seven, buck seventy hold here. Uh, buck seventy was a low. That was a closing print. Looks like a lot of people threw in the towel yesterday. Uh, average volume is around four, five, six million shares. One hundred and fifty-six million shares traded yesterday. Oh. So. Maybe everyone that wants out is out. Let's see if you can put in like a little double bottom, triple bottom or something, a couple areas to lean on. And then I think it's hard to get real interested on the long side until you get back over that gap area, over $2. Uh, so just maybe wait. Just be a little bit patient here. See if you can get a technical formation to lean on. But it looks like a lot of people threw in the towel on Groupon yesterday. All right, we're going to hop off here just a few minutes before the open. If you missed any part of our show, catch our podcast or rewatch the show on YouTube. To learn more about the Cannabis Capital Conference next week, go to BenzingaEvents.com. And buy a ticket uh, and learn about how or who will be there, what will be discussed. So, benzingevents.com for that. Uh, give us a call, 734-494-0246. Email us, premarket at benzinga.com. Uh, I want to thank all of our guests today, from Michael Salomon to Tim Seymour to Alan Broxstein to Mark Shaken. Thanks to everyone in our chat on YouTube and premarket.benzinga.com. And please remember that all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes and not for investing or trading advice uh i think that's it for me joel any any final thoughts or do we do we uh boy we covered a lot today a lot. uh the pre-market low that's a good target on the downside 75 and a quarter we're bouncing up now just uh just can't get this uh this area this all-time closing high 87 and a quarter out of my mind it's also mid-range on the session at 86.50 so uh any early pop Better get over that, better clear that, or I see more yeah. downside in the market. Uh, your better support here, 33.70. That's Wednesday's low and Tuesday's close right in that right. area. Everyone have a great rest of your day. We'll be back with you on Friday. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. 
Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.